Hey, you're listening to the Bartender Atlas Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lindley. On this episode, I'm talking to Eugene Nayundi, who is from Nairobi. Uh, he runs a farm. He used to be a food critic. If you are online, especially in any of those rum groups uh, on Facebook or anything else, you will know Eugene as the Rum Bishop. We talk a lot about that. If you're new to Bartender Atlas, we are a worldwide directory of bartenders. We have articles about cocktails, about things going on in different parts of the world. Uh, please check us out online, Bartender Atlas. If you are just here to hear Eugene talk, good news, because here he is right now on the Bartender Atlas podcast. Yeah, I'm ready. All right, Eugene Yundi, first question. Yes. When you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Yes. Um, a chef. That was what I wanted to become. Yeah, what made you want to be a chef? I guess just looking at the whole aspect of food and flavor, I always was fascinated by, first and foremost, how chefs speak and how they react to food. And based out of that, I started to learn how to cook when I was a young person. Yeah, like how young? Probably seven, eight years. That's when I actually started learning how to cook. That's amazing. Did you have someone in your family or a family friend that was teaching you or did you kind of do it on your own? Just learn from everyone else. Just like take notes and make uh, you know notes for everything that I was doing. That's amazing. Seven or eight. I mean, yeah. I I didn't have time to cook when I was seven or eight. I was too busy running around chasing bugs and stuff. <laughs> and where did you grow up, Eugene? I I grew up uh, in several places, but mostly in Nairobi. Yeah. What places did you move around to? So. Um, I don't know if you know most of the places in, in and around uh, Africa. Is it, uh, were you mostly in Kenya or were you moving all over the continent? I was moving most of the time. I got a chance to move because my dad was basically a professor. And so having the chance to spend time and just move around, learn a lot, gave me the opportunity to grow. You experienced a lot of different things as a young kid when you moved I, around I a lot. Still, yeah, so I got a chance to travel a lot, and uh, based on that fact, then I also got to learn about good food and, like, in terms of what street food should be in different places, Tanzania, um, you know, South Africa, Mauritius, Madagascar, a bit of time in Europe, a bit of time in America, but mostly it was just like during those holiday breaks when you get the chance, you would travel, and then I'll come back and try to really replicate um, recipes, you know. Of what I've learned. Uh, did you find when you were traveling and you would come back home, whatever home happened to be at the time, uh, is it difficult to get a hold of certain ingredients, fruits, vegetables, whatever, spices from different yeah, places? Yeah, I mean, that, 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 actually, that is what played a major role in me actually starting the farm, the botanical farm, because I realized like not everybody is accessible to the knowledge of what it might be, for example, different types of parsley or different types of uh, lavender. And I was like, at some point, I really wanted to do it. And so this year has been one of those awkward years where COVID has put us in one place for such a long time. And because also the fact that my grandparents are farmers. And so you have coming from a long line of farmers and botanical traditional botanical doctors, then I have had to rethink the whole idea of growing up, you know, and growing plants and botanicals. So now I get to use them in food, I get to use them in drinks, and essentially just 
try to spread that message around because I, I realize not everyone understands botanicals the way I would want them to understand, you know, mm-hmm. or perhaps see them the way I would like them to see. Yeah. Um, I think it's amazing that you've started this botanical farm. We're going to talk more about that in a bit. I'm going to try and build up and figure out how you got to the farm. So uh, when you said you were growing up and you sort of moved around a bunch, but you were mostly in Nairobi, what sort of schools were you going to? So I was a rebel, so first and foremost. So I, 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 and I was typically the black sheep of the family. So it was in between, you know, the the local education system and uh, just uh, British system. And my dad tried to rein me down because, then again, I'm a very creative person. And if you come from a very conservative background, you have these challenges where some of these things are strange to most people. So, yeah. I spent my time in between different systems and eventually I just managed to finish school because they were like, just finish school. You know, that's the most important thing. Yeah. Certain systems don't necessarily work for everybody. Yes. When you were that age, when you were in school, you know, a teen and whatnot, uh, what sort of hobbies did you have and what sort of friends did you hang out with? What things were you doing that were keeping you uh, distracted from doing school? House music. So I got into house and rock music as at a very early age, because that was the only thing that would get me stable, considering that I am a very, I have ADHD, so having that explained the fact that I was drawn to rock music as my alternative. Did you play anything at all, or were you just a, an appreciator? I, I, I played I, 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 I played the guitar, but then, you know, later on, I went into drums, and then I, I got into the aspect of just listening to other guys who are my friends coming up as artists and trying to give them what I thought would be the best view of uh, music and how they can grow based on what I think and what I've seen. And when you were helping your friends out and whatever, did you end up when you were playing guitar, when you were playing drums, did you end up playing with your friends and actually doing shows or were you just kind of, uh, hanging out at those shows? I, I was just hanging out. I really like for me, music hasn't been something that I would consider as an element of making money. It was just like, I just wanted people to appreciate good music. So you can imagine rock music in the early nineties in Kenya wasn't something that was considered as good music. Why? Because People thought rock music was some devilish kind of music, but then, you know, it had to change. Which, With like, time, people have changed, people become, yeah. Which, I mean, I would hope that rock music maintains some devilishness to it. That's what makes it good. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what sort of bands, what sort of rock bands were, were a big deal in Kenya and in Nairobi in the early 90s? So in the early 90s, we actually, weird enough, so music started becoming a big hit in 1998. So we had groups like Murphy's Floor, Light, Light of Tragedy. There were a couple of bands that tried to play different types of elemental rock. Now it, the whole scene has changed. So now we have rock DJs, we have rock bands, we have live, you know, live bands that still do rock music, but it's not as big. It's not as big as I would want it to still be, you know. Um, and would you say I that people are moving into different, uh, what you call alternative, alternative music, which is like two different genres combined together? Yeah. And would you say that it's mostly African bands that uh, are playing this kind of music, or do you get a lot of European and American bands as well? I mean, alternate, alternatively, it's just uh, the local guys just trying to come up. You know, and uh, which is good because then that means there's a there's a space for everyone in the music scene. 
you know but then also once again we also have uh, where we have the opportunity of international artists coming on board but most of the time if it's international act it's like reggae dancehall because then Kenya is also skewed to a dancehall reggae culture which also explains why ram for me is um, something that i primarily chose because it's relatable to most people yeah sure um going back to your life a little bit now that we've talked about rock music for a minute um what was your first job my first job um, like officially or what i was i mean even if you were if you were just helping people out around a house that counts no so it was uh going around restaurants and critiquing that was the first thing that I, i've always wanted to do i felt like i could do it and i could be better so even typically for me i didn't go to like a culinary school like most people i i just learned on the job you know i just learned by looking at people and experimenting and understanding the most important thing is flavor because at the end of the day you're what you eat so i would go into restaurants and i would critique restaurants and then i'll review and then after that i moved into the event space where i would help um some of my friends organize their festivals such as the cake at uh, cake, cake festival then later on i i met a friend of mine who was like Eugene, you have so much skill and talent and can you just become the speaker for ram in africa and i was like well at that time i didn't know, to know much about ram i was just like yo it's just it's another spirit over there being the chef i was i was like just another but the more i got into understanding the sugarcane industry and understanding why ram is important and in terms of building the um, space for africa then i started to see a different perspective so despite the fact that i was learning about these other different spirits essentially i chose ram because i realized first and foremost the sugarcane industry in africa is crumbling and you need sustainable solutions and people still drink so if in essence if you're going to drink let them drink something that they can produce in africa which is either sugarcane or corn and sugarcane is easy if everything else works out so yeah wow you touched on a couple things there um you said that you were a restaurant critic uh without any training yeah. or anything were you just doing that as a blog or were you doing it for a local newspaper how who were you no, uh, writing for it. i was i was actually doing it for for myself i I was trying to find my like my ground because in school I studied media and psychology but then I always felt like um you know the way when you watch Larry King and Oprah I always knew I wanted to have my own show at some point in life but what it was supposed to be I did not know exactly like what content I would want to create but then the more I got into the food and uh, restaurant space, I realized it's not just about going out there and critiquing. It's also about uh, how people receive proper training, how people received um, all these things. So, and the more I looked into it, the more I wanted to learn more, the more I wanted to train more. And so I started taking a lot of training. So eventually I got into a space whereby, you know, based on out of, out of all these trainings, I can now sit back and say, you know what, I can train other people and have them get the same opportunity that I got because half of the time they don't get the opportunity that they would like to get, you know. Uh, what sort of trainings were they? Was it uh, local people uh, doing presentations about different types of food and different types of spirits and whatnot? Or was it stuff that you searched I mean, out yourself online? It was a combination of uh, the local 
brand and um, the courses online and the different courses I was taking, you know. So all along, I was motivated by the fact that there are people out there in the world who are taking these things seriously. Like, in as much as this industry may be young here, someone has to learn, someone has to actually take this and turn it into something. So now, being the person I was, I, I, I was a go-getter, so I always wanted to push for training. So meaning that if any time I got an opportunity to learn, I would learn, and I would try to pass that down as much as possible. So it be it rum, be it brandy, be it cognac, be it amniac, I was like just, I was just soaking in. So like two or three years, I, I was literally soaking in so much information. But then also I, I came to realize like the more I soak in, the more I wanted to represent undervalued spirits. So these uh, either spirits that are produced in Africa or small scale producers who their stories are not told. So I will I will typically be anti the system of capital uh, branding. Like I'm a firm believer that small producers should be given the space in the market because everybody knows, for example, Johnny Walker or you know. Singleton, but nobody knows the small scale producers actually doing a much more detailed job, and that is important because people need to tell those stories. Yeah, certainly. Do you think that you said earlier your father was a professor? Do you think that he passed some of that on to you, and that's why you want to be an educator as well? I I, I guess it's just rubbing on me, and um, I've never really thought about it the way we're speaking. I just feel like the more I read, the more I want to share, and the more I share, I feel like someone out there is listening. It can be one person or two, you know, whatever the number might be, at least the message is clear. And so it feels like I need to pass that information down. And you said that you've been working, I know, because I've been following you online for a while, that you've been working with rum specifically in Africa. Um, do you find yes. that there are a lot of support, uh, a lot of bars and restaurants that are willing to support African rums? I mean, um, so, no, so I feel like there, there's a lot more that could be done. And a lot more when I speak about it in terms of the spirit industry, in terms of the training opportunities that can be there for people who want to be distillers. For example, we could have that come up, you know, we could have people who actually are willing to invest in the, in the distillery process in Africa because the products are there, you know, if it's raw materials are there. But in terms of direct correlation of investment, it is not as... I would expect, and I guess maybe people have not looked at Africa from that scope, but they need to, you know, mm-hmm. move away from the fact that, you know, just Africa is a cons- consumption market, but rather it can produce the same. And while we're getting there, you've been in Nairobi for a while. Like Nairobi is home, yeah? And Nairobi is home. Yeah. And Nairobi is a gigantic city. There's lots of casinos and hotels. Um, in the same way that we're talking about smaller producers of rum as well, other than all the casinos and hotels in Nairobi, are there smaller independent bars as well that are creating cocktails? Yes, they are. I mean, there are a couple of small independent bars that are doing an amazing job. Right off the top of my head, I could probably just list the ones that I know that if you're to ever visit Nairobi, you, you will enjoy, you know? Um. In Nairobi, in because again, Nairobi is such a big city. Is there specific neighborhoods that you would want to go to if you were dining out or drinking? Yes. Yeah. Of course, like yeah, like what? Places. So, 
<laughs> so we have the Westlands uh, area, which is like from the capital city, it's on the west side of life. So that is predominantly where most hotels tend to be, you know, your Kempinski's and stuff like that, but they also are the entertainment capital of the upper district of Nairobi, you know. And so when you go to these places, are they usually bigger venues or is there tiny, small speakeasies? What's uh, like, what's the breadth? There are different venues for different um, clientele. For example, uh, we have uh, the Revolver Bar, which is in um, a place called Lavington, Cuna, Crescent Road. So this place, it's not such a big place as you would expect. But the ambience, the lighting, the whole cowboy theme and just them offering unique uh, spirit selections that predominantly do not are not taken seriously in other bars, that's something to note. You know, that's something that I would say, like, if I wanted to get, for example, Amnyak, you know, oh, wow, I can okay. only get Amnyak. I can only get Amnyak there, you know. Do you find there's a lot of other spirit-specific bars? Is there like whiskey bars or gin bars or anything around Nairobi as well? So, yeah, there are different bars. So we have Honey Endo, which is a gin bar. We have Inti, which is more or less a Pisco bar, and they're trying to push Pisco and Japanese whiskey. We So we have literally something for everyone. And with that, you know, you also get to experience the different categories of spirit in a very broader perspective. But then the predominant um, young clientele of Nairobi is more or less drawn towards gin for some weird reason. I do not understand why. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on with gin because gin is just gin. Is just gin I, feel, I feel like everywhere in the for world in the last reason. three years, gin has just gotten huge. And it's getting huge and it's getting a bit messy. So it's, yeah. What do you mean by messy? I mean, when I talk about messy, the terms, in terms of uh, how many producers of gin are actually out there and who are doing a really good job because half of the genes out there are not as good as they are supposed to be. You know, for example, when you talk about additives in spirits or when you talk about uh, all this coloration in spirits, in the end of the day, in as much as they are marketing, are they really selling a product that is worth being in the market? That's a question I'll ask. Because yeah. I'm always anti the fact that stuff should be added into spirit. So, mm-hmm. for example, if you're going to color a gin and call it pink gin, just be honest about the coloration. If you're going to add caramel in rum and say it is added sugar, just say it's added sugar. Don't say it's premium and then it's um, it's just added sugar. You know, Because that, that is a misconception, again, towards a consumer. And you make the job of most educators hard. Yeah. Was there any bars that you happened to work at as a bartender as well? Or were you doing primarily uh, educational stuff as far as spirits are concerned? I, 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 as far as I'm concerned, I was primarily doing education. I've never really answered this the weirdest part. As much as I could train people, I... The last time I ever worked behind a bar was just uh, in 20... In 2015, that was the last time I ever walked behind a bar formally. I was like, I, 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 I don't understand. Because I so much, I like for me, I was always like, this person, has, I see so much potential, but people don't seem to realize that life is not just behind the stick. Because sometimes even the pay is not 
as good as we expected. So someone has to facilitate the much-needed change, you know. Yeah, so I was always wondering what's going to be the next thing because after being a bartender, what next? What if, for some weird reason, maybe you don't have a job the next day? Do I still need to stay hungry, you know? And so meanwhile, while all that was happening, I was just, I always realized at the back of my mind, my grandfather, my grandmother being traditional botanical doctor, they had passed me information that I wasn't taking seriously at that time, but now I have to because I'm realizing the older they get, someone actually has to do this. Someone actually has to know this information. So I started jotting down all these different type of trees, what they do, and in the process about learning vermouth and about learning all these different things, I was like, I could actually do this from my own point. Like I could turn these things into something. So this pretty this year, pretty much what I've been trying to focus on is trying to develop concepts around it, like stuff that could come out. Because number one, we don't have consistent supply of bitters in the market. So that means if I'm able to create something, then people can use. And if I'm able to add more stuff in the farm, then people can be able to actually understand research and come to use them in their different applications. So now that is why, for me, the farm has taken so much of a priority. And I'm like, people need to know this. Yeah, people so, need to be aware. People need to be educated. You know? So I know that you've moved on and you're working on this farm now. What else, just uh, before we get too deep into the farm, I know you want to talk about the farm. I want to talk about the farm. But uh, <laughs> what else has uh, the service industry done um, with COVID in Nairobi, has it has it swept through and closed everything down like it has in other cities and countries, or is it uh, less of a concern there? What sort of moves are people making? No, now? it actually has. It has, and most people have now gone back to either what they were doing before, or have gone back to live with their parents, or they have gone back to you know just the rural countryside, and that is because you know the president of Kenya kept uh, postponing dates of opening and, and eventually when they opened people are people people are still going to misbehave and there were a bit of accidents so there was an there was an appeal for people to close for closure because of you know then again people had missed being out and so the with the whole back and forth some some places have been shut down completely some places have somehow managed to survive but then I, I will say that for some weird reason, it's still going to be a long term considering tourism is the biggest uh, export from Kenya. So and we pre pretty much depend on most international tourists. So it's going to take a lot of time, especially for the hotels to come back the way they're supposed to come back. But we are hoping that things can change. Yeah. And so in that time, you uh, you've decided to start your farm. What's the name of your farm? Uh, obviously, we know a little bit of the background of it, but tell us everything about the farm, and then uh, I'll ask you some specific questions in a minute. So, yes, uh, the farm, I call it Bishop Botany Farm. Why? Because I I always had the word around Bishop, so it just... And the fact that, the second thing, I love botanicals. It came from the fact that I was really struggling with my health. Um, from depression to just anxiety to ADHD. And I was like, I really needed to just find something that would be an alternative. 
because when you think about it um, most med- medication is expensive it's like around 16000 so it's like maybe if i could find something to do and keep my mind away from what's going on then it could really help so now you have a farm that was started pretty much based out of all the that and the fact that um flavor and um taste and complexity of all this has always been something that um has been something I've always wanted to do you know mm-hmm. i don't subscribe to the fact that a mojito can just have spare mint or for example azin and tonic should only have rosemary you know i'm this type of person who's like you know what what if we explore other flavors what if we look at wellness or holistic health from a different perspective right and it can be as simple as just infusing honey or infusing apple cider or whatever it might be so based on that i started to play around i will get local honey and i will infuse it with all the botanicals i'm growing i will infuse um apple cider with you know all the botanicals and I will make notes and i will try to recreate drinks based on things that i thought would work for me so like for example today um a friend of mine brought me some tree tomato and passion fruit so i basically turned it into a puree i added a bit of bay leaf curry leaf ginger and nutmeg why because i i feel like people need to understand flavor pairings for it to be practical mm-hmm. so by combining all this then i'm able to create something even if it's non alcoholic it's balanced it's complex it, it delivers in all ways and shapes you know uh and when you're making these things are you then adding rum to it afterwards it depends no so it actually depends on um the the mood of the day for me so when i create cocktails i have like different moods so there are times i would like i just want to create a non alcoholic cocktail for people and then there is others be like i want to create something with rum so this entire month i'm just i'm trying to dedicate it to just creating different cocktails around not just rum but just the fundamentals of fruit and spice pairing or fruit and herb pairing so that people are able to understand that whatever this is this is this is easy it's not hard it's not rocket science i'm i'm breaking it down to the simplest even something as simple as using jam or chutney or pickles whatever it might be but you also mentioned that with ADHD and with medication and what not are you looking at the medicinal uses for a lot of the herbs and spices that you're growing as well yes i am so that that is also playing a key role so like right now i have i have a honey that i've basically infused uh, borage and basically everything that i have in the farm i harvested it and then i just put it in a messenger and then i stuck a lot of honey into it i've left i've left it to infuse for a couple of weeks and then later on I'll strain it off and just use it to you know just get the flavor but the health benefits of all this so some of the things you're growing based on how much traveling you've done and obviously you're online a lot reading about different ingredients and different things people are using in different places are you including a lot of plants and herbs and spices from places you've never seen before and kind of importing seeds as well so i the most of the seeds actually i i don't even get seeds anymore because there are no seeds you know i have to find seedlings so for example the bay leaf tree is not something that uh, you can find the seeds yeah so i had to get uh, a seedling from a friend of mine so basically i basically go out and sort out for seedlings from different um, farmers as well because 
then again most people are just doing this in small scale i would really the idea or the vision behind the farm is to essentially have one place where people can come and just grow and learn and research and inquire more about all these things because then again no one has ever really looked at botanical farming especially for the industry from a very broader scale and by me trying to open this space up for different bartenders to come in around essentially what i'm telling them you know when you get to the place where you need to create your own cocktail be it for diage or world class whatever it might be feel free to come and ask me how to pair you know all these things because then again someone has to essentially just remind them to win a cocktail especially in a competition it can be something as simple as just tricking one thing over the other beyond bartenders coming to you to come up with their own ingredients yeah. have you only because you mentioned earlier that some of the gin distillers uh, that you've been that you know about aren't really uh, producing valid spirits as it were have you had distillers come to you and ask about botanicals on the farm as well yeah i i've spoken to one of my friends who's um, a distiller but they asking me because i we spoke about actually making a gene and they were like i need to have like four million dollars i mean for me i mean four thousand four thousand dollars which is around four million kenya shillings if we're to produce gin from the farm right which is that's something that I would really like to work on, but that's like next year and two years from now. Yeah. I don't know. Has, it's going to take a lot of time before we get that kind of money. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Has the farm been well received by the industry? Like, does this make sense to all your other friends? It, that, I mean, it has. Yeah. I mean, it has like, so we have not just the people in the industry, but kids who come around and um, we have cocktail classes for the kids now. Yeah. Something that I... I've been doing, they come to the farm, we make a couple of tonics for them, lemonades, uh, show them just the basics, just so they can also be able to start seeing all these things from a different perspective. Because then again, if you start off them very early, they'll be able to understand. And also the fact that it's not just the industry, by the way, so you got to think about it from, if you think about it from farm to glass, number one, I would want young children to essentially grow more trees so if they can essentially start to grow trees at a very early age and especially trees that either have fruit or health um, benefits then by the time they are 18 or 20 they can make use of it two the fact that um, holistic health affects everyone mothers daughters fathers everybody so anyone is welcome to come and just even smell or even learn whatever the thing is so it is basically an open space for people to just come learn understand be part of the process because then again you cannot do it alone because then again i also realized the moment i started planting trees it's a bug and once a bug catches you you can't stop mm-hmm. yeah i feel like you're it's doing a green bug i know the green bug yeah the green bug catches you you don't want to stop. Okay, I've been uh, talking to you for about a half hour now. Um, I have one, two more questions for you. One is, uh, yeah. if I come to Nairobi and I'm going to hang out, what's the one thing I need to see? Whether it's a bar or whether it's a, a weird touristy thing, what's the one thing I need to see if I go to the city of Nairobi? Of course, number one, my phone. Number yeah. two. <laughs> <laughs> 
Number two, it has to be the culture of the people is amazing, especially with food. So, because we love barbecues, all Kenyans love barbecues generally. So that's something else that I would really love for you to see or experience. And then, because when you were younger, you were so into music. If you had a theme song, if you were to walk into a room, who would be playing the theme song? A local, I'll give, I'll give it up to the local artists who are doing a good job. So, so what currently I'm actually listening to is um, an artist called King Kaka. He's the biggest artist from Kenya, and he has a new song called uh, Big Up. Big Up is a song to celebrate friends who have been there for each other, who are supporting each other in their different uh, applications. So, that, actually, that is the song that's been ringing in my mind. That's just great. Just saying thank you to everyone that has, yeah, like just say thank you to everyone that's been on the journey with me. That's but we're getting there sooner or later. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Eugene. If people want to find you online, if people want to read more about the farm, if people want to follow you on Instagram, how do they find you? Uh, they can follow Bishop Botany Farm. And that's on Instagram? Have you got Facebook and everything set yeah, up as well? Or you just, no, that, yeah. that's the that's, that's Instagram page. You know, perfect. So it's Bishop Botany Farm on I on Instagram, and of course, if it's on Facebook, you can always Google Ron Bishop or just my name Nyaundi Mangerere. So yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Big thanks again to Eugene for taking the time to talk with us and tell us all about his amazing farm. We thought it would be cool to have someone who is really. Uh, I know everyone says pivot, I'm tired of it too, but someone who's really changed everything that they're doing, not just talking about rum, but, you know, going back into his past and figuring out things he's good at so that he can keep going through this super weird time for the industry. If you have any ideas about the podcast, if you have questions about the podcast, we might be working on a special episode. If you want to ask me about Bartender Atlas or ask me about anything, please reach out at Bartender Atlas on Instagram is a great way to find us. Otherwise, bartenderatlas at gmail.com and just say question about the podcast. In the meantime, be well, John Spartan. That's great. Man, it's, it's really cool to have seen, you know, even in the last two years or so, to see you go from, you know, getting Danny Ronan to send you mezcal and like, Doing rum, doing rum education <laughs> stuff. It has been a journey. Like uh, it keeps being a journey. Every day is a new, is a new lesson. And the more you learn, the more you realize you have a, you have a, you have a goal or a mission. Like and just whatever mission or goal or role you have in life, just be the best of what you can be. Because that that is what it's about. <laughs>